This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Hey friends, before we get into this week's episode and all the books, I just want to let you know or remind you if you've been paying attention these last few weeks that at Book Riot, we are doing a huge mystery giveaway for 15 of the best new mysteries of the year, all from people of color and LGBTQ authors. The giveaway is open until May 9th, but you should probably not wait to go enter it. If you're curious about what some of those titles are, you can get Down the River Unto the Sea by Walter Mosley, Phoenix Burning by Isabella Maldonado. Hiroshima Boy by Naomi Hirahara, The Master Key by Masako Tagawa, and Simon N.C. Grove. That one's in translation as well. Something fun called Death by Dumpling by Vivian Chin, and many more. So if you'd like to win 15 of the best new mysteries of 2018 so far, go to bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway to enter. That's bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway to enter by May 9th. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 155, and today we are talking about books being released on April 24th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hi! Reunited and it feels so good! Yes. It's been so long. Can I just, I don't think I've complained about the time of year recently so can I say how is April almost over (laughs) oh I know (laughs) crazy this year is going by very fast yeah and it never stops it's true time marches on liberty that's what it does (laughs) I don't know I I feel like I missed like six months just being sick for a few days. Oh, <laughs> I well, I was, yeah, I was sick for like all of March and then April has been basically a wash for me oh, between yeah. <laughs> just all kinds of things have been happening. <laughs> I'm ready for May. I have this like psychological block where it's like when May gets here, then everything will be fine. And it's almost so, here. It is it's like seven more days. It'll be great. Yeah. And then I'm taking a vacation. I'm so excited. I'm going nowhere per usual and (laughs) going to read a bunch of books. And when you do the thing where you tweet the picture of all the books that you have set aside for your vacation, it's going to be like enough books for most people's year (laughs) of reading. Well, I have four that I'm definitely going to read. Two rereads, which are, I can't even remember now, Beloved and um, I'm forgetting already, but I'm going to read East of Eden, which I have never read and have said I'm going to read like several times. But I've never read. It's the last. You'll Steinbeck. have to report back about yeah. that one. I haven't read that Steinbeck either. And Frankenstein, which I've never read. Oh, really? Yeah, it's crazy, well, right? It's the two hundredth anniversary. I figured I might as well read yeah. it. Well, and then you can listen to the annotated episode about how it got written. Yeah. Oh, oh, and Swan Song. I read Swan Song when it first came out many years ago. Robert McCammon, and mm. he's awesome. So I'm going to reread that. Hope it holds up. Which I've nice. heard that it has. So. And then the rest will be yeah, 
a surprise. Or I might just go streaking up and down the street. Who knows? It's my vacation. You'll be like naked woman hurling books at strangers. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's true. I've been forcing books on like every person who comes near the house lately. I'm like, who's uh, that? Who's that neighbor? Is that your friend? Do they want some books? Like, Come to the me. cable guy shows yeah. up and you're like, want, want some books? Take some with you, please. please. Um, yeah, I was out of town with a friend this weekend at her parents' um, house on the river and I had taken a couple books with me and I finished one that I was reading and I'd been telling her mom about it and she was like, oh, that sounds good. And I was like, do you want it? I'll just leave it here. And she was like, oh, no, I don't want to take a book from you. And I was like, let me explain my job to you. (laughs) Yeah. Please take it. You'll be doing me a favor. It's true. It's awesome, though. It is. It's a good problem to have. We are – we're only complaining, like, a little bit. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, People are always like, oh, there's so many books in my house. But that is, like, my aesthetic. That is what I am going for. Like, I like, like what would we, how would we decorate <laughs> if we didn't have piles of books? Of books? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I was, I, like, sitting in my living room thinking about that the other day. I was looking at all of our bookshelves and I was like, what would I put in my house if I didn't have a bunch of bookshelves? Like, what would go in that space? And now when I'm in other people's homes, I think about it, except that most people that I'm friends with also have a million yeah. bookshelves. <laughs> so I'm not collecting very interesting data. <laughs> Like, how do you decorate if you don't just have a floppity jillion books everywhere? I'm also envious of people that don't. Like, people who are readers who don't build their house. Like, if they don't want that, like, that's fine, too, you know. But Mm -hmm. I hear so many people complain, like, how they have so many books around. And I'm like, but that's fine. Yeah. But then, like... Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, I say mine are like in a funny, my bookshelves are in a funny spot where I'm not nearly as attached to physical, like the physical book as I used to be. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of frozen in time. Like I probably, I read about a hundred books a year. I probably keep like maybe 10. Um, And then the, like most of the things on my shelves are books that I loved a long time ago, but we're thinking about moving just a new house in Richmond, like nothing, no big deal um, in the next year or so. And I think I might like, I might become a person who has fewer bookshelves. So I'll have to like call a decorator or something or like fall into Pinterest and be like how to decorate without books. Yeah. Half, at least half of what I read, um, they're, they're e-galleys. I can't imagine yeah. what my house would look like if oh I my gosh. read 600 books in like that house. would be you know, that your would floors just be would crazy. be falling through. Oh, it's yeah. just nuts. It's nuts. I love talking so, about books. I've missed you. I've missed you too. It's good to hear your voice and be like back in the groove. Do you want to tell me about your first pick this week? I do because it is a delightful semi autobiographical middle grade, but fun for everyone graphic novel. Graphic that memoir, I guess lovely. I should say. If it's only partly true, is it graphic meh? I don't know. <laughs> but graphic memble. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> It's called Be Prepared, and it's by Vera Brosgall. She wrote Anya's Ghost several years ago, which you're probably all familiar with. And like I said, this is semi-autobiographical. And it's about when she was nine years old, um, she had a group of friends. They all seemed to have all the cool toys, all the cool sleepovers, all the cool stuff. She lived with her mother and brother in a tiny little apartment, and she wanted to have, like, the great sleepovers and the great giveaways, but she, like, invited her friends over And her mother made, like, Russian food and didn't buy, like, the right cake that she wanted. And, like, her friends weren't that impressed. And she's sad. And she wants to, like, go someplace cool and do cool things. And she hears uh, through her church about a camp for Russian kids. And she's, like, so excited. She, like, begs her mother, you know, like, they can't really afford it. But, 
you know, she begs, 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 and, like, her little brother wants to go, so her mother comes up with the money and sends them to camp, and immediately she does not want to be there. Like, she's like, this is awful, I hate it, and, like, even there, like, she doesn't really fit in. Um, she, she's an amazing, amazing artist, like, even at the age of nine, like, she's an incredible artist, um, but she's, like, very young for her age, and she's just old enough to be with the older kids, so they put her in a tent with, like, two 14-year-olds, like, she's nine years old, and, you know, like, she doesn't wear a bra, and it freaks them out, like, that she walks around without a shirt on, because, you know, they're 14, and girls are, you know, weird, and, and her brother, on the other hand, in the boys' camp, seems to be having, like, the time of his life, like, every time she sees him, like, he pretends like he doesn't see her, and, you know, she's just, she's not having any fun, but then her, her tent mates realize that she can draw, and they ask her, like, they, all the girls start asking her to draw things for them. And she's, like, popular for, like, a second. But then there's a horrible Skittles incident that I'm not going to tell you about. Um, and now she's just ruined every all the fun for everyone um, and made things just much worse for herself. And she's being shunned by all the campers and everyone's mad at her. Um, and to make matters worse, her mother decides that they're going to be there for four weeks instead of two weeks. Like, she's like, okay, I just have to get through these two weeks. And then she discovers, like, she has to go for two more weeks, and she's just so miserable. Um, and it's just, it's really, it's hard not to call it cute, even when she's, like, sad, because her illustrations are fantastic. Um, she expresses so much just by, like, changing the tiniest bit of shape. Like, her eyes, she's, like, her character as herself, like, have she wears these big glasses, and she has these big eyes, and just by, like, it's amazing how much you can do with just changing the tiniest little bit of shape around the eyes. Like, they're so expressive, and... You know, it's a really great book about, like, you know, feeling awkward and not fitting in and, and being miserable. And at the end of the book, she has the actual letters, like, that she wrote to her mom when she was at camp. And they are a scream. They're like, oh. everything here is so bad and I hate everything and the food tastes bad and please come get me. And, like, it just keeps going on and on and on like that. It's amazing. <laughs> I've always, like... I've always been envious. I never went to camp, like, when I was a kid. Like, a lot of kids I knew went off to camp, and I was always envious of them, but I don't think I really missed out on too much. <laughs> like, you know, and I know, like, a lot of kids, like, if you if you ask them, like, the ones that seemed like they were having the best time, like, they probably felt, like, awkward and weird, too, and, you know, but this is her story, and it's funny, and I just adored it. So, again, it's called Be Prepared, and it's by Vera Brosgall. Oh, that sounds so great. It's I love so a camp cute. story. That she has the actual letters she wrote. Oh it's my just, goodness. That's a, it's that's am amazing. They, they it are. It feels like, um, did you watch The Mortified Guide on Netflix? Have oh. you seen that? What is The Mortified oh my gosh. Guide? Yes. Okay. So nope. this is a brief tangent, but it's worth it, I promise. <laughs> Mortified is this like community storytelling like sort of grassroots community storytelling event that a guy named Dave Nadelberg started like years and years ago. And there's a mortified documentary on Netflix. And then there's a, that came out a few years ago. And then there's a series that Netflix produced called the mortified guide that just came out earlier this year. And what mortified is, is people getting up on stage, reading entries from their childhood and teenage diaries oh, okay they do something like that here in town at the local yeah. theater okay right like it's they've the mortified ones happen like in productions in little like local bars and community theaters and places all around the country and the mortified guide it's kind of in the same vein as like the moth but not as serious um and so the mortified guide is like 
I think it's six episodes and each one has a theme. Um, So the first one is about love and sex and dating. And then there's one about pop culture that includes a woman reading the Harry Potter fanfic that she wrote when she was a teenager. And then they bring out three actors on stage to perform her Harry Potter fanfic. (laughs) It's hilarious, but I just think it's so brave. Like it is so brave. Um, and so vulnerable and hilarious to put your teenage like or like your childhood adolescent thoughts out into the world. I so admire someone who's willing to publish the letters they wrote from camp. <laughs> yeah, they're good. Um, that's great. Well, I don't have a smooth transition to my next one. I hope that everyone will go watch The Mortified Guide and then you can email me about your favorite parts because it's hilarious. Um, so my first pick this week actually came out last week when I was supposed to be on this show um, or something two weeks ago. I don't know. It came out last week on April 17th. It's called West Winging It, an unpresidential memoir by Pat Kanane. This is the latest in the crop, like ever-growing crop, thank goodness, of memoirs by former Obama staffers. Um, Pat Kanane started in the Obama administration when he was like 23, um, working on various things related to uh, the press. Um, and to getting the White House's message out into the world. And he climbed the ladder for several years. And this is his memoir. Um, He's self-deprecating from page one, where he's telling a story about having an uncle. It's either like an uncle or a family friend who was very avuncular to him, uh, who always played practical jokes on him and how these practical jokes intertwined with his professional life, um, including like how he got a job at a warehouse and then eventually ended up with this amazing dream job at the White House. Like all of these former White House staffer memoirs, there are some really tender moments. There's sort of an inside look at what it was like to be working in the White House during major historic moments, both positive and negative. Pat's memoir opens with being in the White House on Election Day 2016 and like the dawning horror that Hillary was going to lose. And like happily, it gets funnier from there, but it sort of moves back and forth between preparing for the future um, and what it was like to be working in the White House and why they did the work that they did. And, um, you know, accidentally almost getting walked in on the bathroom by Shaq and just like there's some funny stuff. There's some really sweet stuff. There's I love sort of office stories in general and hearing about people's working lives and the relationships there. And you get the stories about his coworkers and the camaraderie that grew up between them and sort of all the lessons that were hard won uh, that he came by in his career. I will say it is not my favorite of the former Obama staffer memoirs so far. That title currently still belongs to David Litt's Thanks Obama, which is just really, really funny. Um, But this one is, if you're missing that administration, if you're into these memoirs, uh, definitely don't miss it. So it's West Winging It by Pat Kanane. I thought it was going to be about the TV show. Like when I first saw the the title go by somewhere earlier, I was like, oh, it's about the TV show. No. Totally a good guess. I think it's reasonable. If I was I like, so oh, that's going to be a book about possums, then maybe, <laughs> maybe we should have my head checked. Pat Which the bunny. More than usual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, do so, you want let's to, let's hit our first sponsor this yes, week because I know you're excited. Yes, I talked about this book last week, but I don't care. I'm so excited to say it again. They are our first sponsor. It's How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi. Uh, they're coming to us this week from 
HMH books. And I can say it this week without sounding like I'm talking like this. So that's even better. <laughs> Last week was kind of a mess. Um, so how to, buy, how to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi from the author of The Queen of the Night. It's an essay collection exploring his education as a man, writer, and activist and how we form our identities in life and in art. As a novelist, Alexander Chi has been described as masterful by Roxane Gay, incomparable by Juno Diaz, and incendiary by the New York Times. With How to Write an Autobiographical Novel, his first collection of nonfiction, he's sure to secure his place as one of the finest essayists of his generation as well. And he talks about how it took him 10 years to write The Queen of the Night, which you have all heard me talk about 500 times. I love that book. Um, and how in that time he was regularly publishing essays in a wide variety of publications, and how many of his fans in media and the Big Mouse book world only knew him as an essayist before they'd read a word of his fiction. Um, and the essays in this book move chronologically, track tracking Alex's coming of age as a writer and as a man, and they touch on a wide variety of timely themes that will resonate and help catch media attention, including creativity, art, sexual orientation, grief, money, celebrity, race, gender, gender... I can't talk gender identity and activism to name a few. I could go on. I should have just read this last week. Like, because they did all the work for me. And, like, they use better words. <laughs> I don't know. Let's not start letting publishers tell us <laughs> no, how I to know. blurb the books we like. But you heard Jen and I rave about it last week. You know we love him. He's so fantastic. So, again, it's How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi. And we thank them for sponsoring this week. Man, I did not get to read that one before it came out, and so I'm going to save it probably for summer and then be like, hey, remember when this book came out a few months ago and Liberty loved it? Now I'm talking about it again. That's um, totally which, fine. Yeah, is a thing that happens around here, and I'm embracing it because um, books are good, and sometimes we both want to read the same ones. I'm going to see him next week. I'm very excited. Oh, lucky. Yeah, he's so great. So, exciting. speaking of great... It's still you. Keep going. Yes. Let me tell you about my next pick. Um, it's West by Carrie Davies. She wrote The Redemption of Galen Pike, which was my favorite book of short stories. I talked about it on the show last year. Um, mm -hmm. Won all kinds of awards. And this is her first novel. It is a tremendous novel. It takes place in the early 19th century, about 10 years after the Lewis and Clark expedition. Uh, it's about a man named Cy Bellman. He is a widowed mule breeder in Pennsylvania. He lives with his 10-year-old daughter, Bess. Uh, his wife has been dead for several years. They've been living this quiet existence. I learned a whole bunch about mules, which I did not know. Like, like what makes a mule and, like, hinnies and jennies and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and one day he's reading the newspaper and he hears about these bones that they found in Kentucky. Like, these giant bones where, like, the skull is the size of a whole human and there's big tusks and... Nobody knows what these are. Like, are they real? Is this a joke? It's not like you can look it up on the internet and be like, is, you know, hey, Snopes, is this true? You know, so he hears, like, and he becomes fascinated and obsessed with the idea of the animal that these bones must have come from. You know, like, what a tremendous beast this must be, and where are they in the world? Because at this point, you know, a lot of the country still hadn't been, you know, uh, mapped out. And, you know, he's just obsessed with the idea. He decides he's going to go find one of these creatures for himself. Like, he, he thinks that they must be, like, hiding in the woods somewhere or along the river or they're out. They're in the west somewhere. Like, he's going. And, I mean, it's so evident to the reader that he is grieving the loss of his wife still. And he just hasn't processed that. And, you know, he's, he's abandoning his 10-year-old daughter, basically. He's, he's asked his sister to move in. His sister is rotten and she's not very nice and... 
you know, so, but he's leaving his, his 10-year-old daughter with his sister to go look for these monsters. And, you know, basically what happens is while he is hunting these imaginary monsters that no one has seen, um, she, his daughter is left at home with, like, actual monsters. Like, they're, you know, she's a 10-year-old girl with an aunt who isn't at the house very often, and she's, like, out on this farm by herself. So you can, you can figure out what, you know, what that means. Um, but it's, you know, it's a very grim novel. Like, I will say, like, there's some very sad stuff. Um, but it's also so, so beautiful. There's also this um, story about Sai's friendship with the Native American boy who who helps him go out west and, and look for the monsters. Um, if you like News of the World or if you like Train Dreams, um, you will love this. The ending, I, I like to read about books on Goodreads after I've read them. And very divisive, the ending. Um hmm. So I don't want to say what it is, like explain why, because then people will be like, "Huh." But um, I think I think it's it's perfect. I think it's it's gorgeous, and I think it's going to win awards. So that's what I have to say about that whole thing. Um, so again, it is called West, and it is by Carrie Davies. Awesome. All right. Speaking of uh, me reading books that you loved and already talked about, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to go there right now uh, to The Recovering, Intoxication and Its Aftermath by Leslie Jameson. Uh, This came out April 3rd, so it's been a couple weeks, and I devoured this. I had started reading it um, several weeks ago and then had to take a flight that I wasn't expecting to take. And sometimes like serious nonfiction is not the best for when you're traveling. Traveling, but she blends nonfiction and memoir so seamlessly. I just think she is one of the most talented essayists that is writing and seeing her work at like 500 page book length rather than 25 or 50 page essay length is truly astonishing. Uh, so this book, if you did not hear Liberty talk about it a couple of weeks ago, um, or you just maybe need a refresher, is about um, recovery from alcoholism specifically. It's about Leslie Jameson's personal recovery, um, which she did through AA and is still in recovery. Um, and it's also about the recovery movement, the development, the history of the recovery movement, sort of where the recovery movement and culture sit in larger American culture in particular, and this really tricky relationship between addiction and creativity or between recovery and creativity and how many people, how many artists, especially white men in the world of literature, are known for their alcoholism and for how it had colored their work. Um, Their greatness is connected to this notion of like, he was just drunk all the time and he wrote these amazing books, but like what that reality of living inside addiction is like versus how it gets sort of spun in culture. And she takes a, this is like a very current and very cutting, incisive look too at how like female artists do not get that same presentation. They are sloppy and messy and criticized for being lazy or for not being good enough mothers or like it's it's not glamorous for a woman to have addiction um, or to be dealing with that in the same way that it has been historically um, for male writers too so she wrestles with that with her own personal fears about what would happen to her writing and to her creativity if she were to get sober but uh, also lays out what was going on in her relationships and her personal life and the very detrimental effects that her 
alcoholism had on every aspect of her life and sort of why she went into recovery and why she has remained sober and ties it back to all kinds of interesting research and like the guy who founded AA and stories about his life. It's just, it's so far ranging. This book goes so many places, but it always comes right back to its core. Jameson writes, it's like unfair how good the sentences are that she writes. You're in the middle of this like just really compelling story from her life or a really fascinating fact. And it's like, oh man, that sentence was just astonishing. It's It, it almost makes me angry. She's such a talented writer and I cannot wait for whatever she's going to do next. If you're interested in any of these things, in recovery and addiction, in their connections to creativity, definitely pick up this book. But also, it's just a really remarkable memoir. Um, So pick it up anyway. Whether you think you're interested in it or not, you will take something away from it. Again, it's The Recovering by Leslie Jameson. And speaking of remarkable memoirs, my next pick is The Girl Who Smiled Beads, A Story of War and What Came After by Clementine Wamaria. And uh, Clementine is a survivor of the 1994 Rwandan genocide. This is her story about then and now. Um, She fled her country with her 15-year-old sister Claire when she was six years old. And they spent six years in different African countries enduring horrible things in the refugee camps, uh, trying to find a place, not knowing what happened to their family. They were finally granted asylum, and she and her sister and her sister's husband and child came to the States, um, and she went to the American schools as a teenager. Um, This is her story about that as a survivor, um, as a victim, as a refugee, as a young woman. Um, She is amazing. I watched a bunch of videos after I read this of her. She does Mm. TED Talks, and she was on Oprah when she was much younger, and I just cried my eyes out. I cried my eyes out reading this book. She is filled with so much grace and kindness and hope um, for the world. Like, it's just, it's always astonishing to me that someone who has been through these kinds of things can feel that way, you know, like that there's Mm -hmm. anything left in you to to feel that way. Um, But she talks about, you know, like what these kind of things do to your sense of self, not just the the horribleness of what happened in Rwanda, but also like being a refugee and being told told that you are less than and, you know, she starts out the book by saying, like, every person is equal, every life is equally as important, and it's just this beautiful thing mm-hmm. that she talks about. Um, but, I mean, she's just, she's so interesting. It's such a powerful book. Um, I, I think it should be school reading, really. I mean, and, and it's, like, it's amazing to think, like, you never hear about these events. Um, it was only it was only 1994, you know, and it, it feels like no one talks about them anymore. Um, so it's worth reading for that, you know, if you had if you were interested in those, in what happened in Rwanda, or, you know, if you just want to read, like, a really compelling memoir about, about being a survivor, and she's, like I said, she's just so positive. It's, it's amazing. Um, she's just a remarkable person. So, again, it is called The Story. Nope, I'm reading the things right It's called <laughs> That Girl Who Smiled Beads, A Story of War and What Came After by Clementine Wamaria. I just keep hearing remarkable things about that. Oh, it's really good. It's really, really Well, then great. I'll hold on to my galley of that, too, and you can hear about me and my perspective on it in a couple <laughs> more weeks. Um, but first, do you want to hear about our next sponsor? Yes, please. All right. So Delicious is back this week. They are making incredible tasting dairy-free foods, and they have been for 30 years. From the yogurt case to the ice cream aisle, this Eugene, Oregon company knows how to make dairy-free taste 
delicious. And now So Delicious is introducing five new ice cream flavors to de- to deliver dairy-free decadence. That's a tough one. <laughs> um, <laughs> with amazing flavor and over-the-top creaminess. So you can dive into flavors like blueberry cardamom, chocolate drizzled bananas foster, peachy maple pecan, cold brew coffee, and toasted coconut key lime. So Delicious crafts these amazing pints, starting with coconut milk or cashew milk, and then blending in mouthwatering ingredient combinations. With these artfully crafted flavors, it's easy to find the one that inspires your taste buds. These are great tasting recipes that you can also feel great about. Every scrumptious spoonful is plant-based, non-GMO project verified, certified gluten-free, and certified vegan. We got to get you on this, Lib. There are never any artificial flavors, and it's always dairy-free. So who knew that dairy-free dessert could taste so delicious? Head to the ice cream aisle to check out these new So Delicious Dairy-Free flavors and visit SoDeliciousDairyFree.com slash AllTheBooksFrozen to learn more. That's SoDeliciousDairyFree.com slash AllTheBooksFrozen to learn more. I keep wanting to call them So Be Delicious because of those So Be drinks with the little lizards on them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's how old I am. That's a throwback. Do they even still make Sobe? Uh, probably not, no. <laughs> now I'm going to go look. I was thinking about those recently and the Snapple bottles that have, like, the funny little facts inside the lids. Oh, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> We're just old. Yeah. This is today in old ladies. <laughs> Let's move on. When you said the facts on the lids, I immediately thought of Red Dog. Like, <laughs> do they still make that? <laughs> probably I not. I don't know. Anyway, mm. I'm very old. All right. All right. Let's uh, come back Tell into me the present. About your book. <laughs> I think this is another one that you talked about on the show when it came out. And That's then I, all right. like, ev- everybody who has read this had talked about how amazing it was. And so I was like, oh, I'm not letting this one, like, I am not waiting a year for when this book comes out in paperback to read it and talk about it. It's An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. Man, I am glad that I did not wait. Um, this is a novel about a black couple in Atlanta, Celestial and Roy who are like living the American dream. Um, He has a great job. He's climbing the ladder. She is an artist who makes these um, really like magnificent dolls that seem to fall kind of like in the uncanny valley of looking very much like humans and also just enough not. And she's able to sell them for a lot of money, both as things that people take home, like as an object to have, but also as works of art. And their life is going great. Um, until they're on a trip to visit family and a thing happens that leads to Roy being arrested and sentenced to 12 years for a crime that he didn't commit and that Celestial knows that he didn't commit. Um, But he is convicted and sent to prison nonetheless. And he's gone actually for five years before, um, before he gets out. He's released early. But the story is about his time in prison and also Celestial's life as she waits for him and what happens to their marriage. They had not been together for very long at the time that Roy was sent to prison and how like how hard it is to hold on through something like that. You get their stories, but you also get letters that they wrote back and forth to each, each other, letters that Roy wrote um, to other people in his life from prison what he's wrestling with on the inside as he's waiting to get out and to go back to his life and his wife or to find out if there's anything still there for him and what Celestial is wrestling with in her own life on the outside. Does she move on or does she keep waiting for him? And how do you know what's okay? And 
how much does a marriage require us to, what is required of uh, of us in a marriage? And there's big questions about commitment and marriage and family and soulmates, but also a really important, and I just think beautifully executed social commentary on mass incarceration and the wrongful imprisonment, especially of black men in this country and how awful it is, how widespread it is, and how difficult it is once you have been wrongfully imprisoned to get out, to prove your innocence and to get out. Um, And Tyree Jones does this, like, you know, social novels are, this is a thing, but it is really difficult, I think, to do a novel with such a sharp social perspective and have it be like to seem so natural and to come from the characters and not feel like the author has stepped in to uh, to lecture or to preach about their perspective. Now, I happen to agree with the perspectives that Tyree Jones is bringing here, but I think that it's done subtly and it's done very carefully and very thoughtfully that um, you can read this book and not care that you're getting a social perspective. You might not even know that that's a thing that she's doing in this story if you're not looking for it, I think, but you walk away with this like, oh, wow, I had never thought about these things before, perhaps. Um, it's just so well done. It reads like a dream. I couldn't put it down. And just from page one, super compelling, very well crafted. Um, And I feel like this is a breakout moment for her. I've loved um, some of Tyree Jones' other books, but this feels like a real step to a new kind of stage um, in American fiction. She is awesome. Oprah thinks so too. This is an Oprah book club selection, so you don't have to take just mine and Liberty's word for it, but it's really, really excellent look at race and class and love and family and some really big issues. So again, that's An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. Ah, now we're something completely different. (laughs) (laughs) My last pick is Sky in the Deep by Adrian Young. It is a YA fantasy novel. So much fun. It's about 17-year-old Elin. She is a warrior. She fights with the Aska clansmen. Um, and every five years they fight their sworn enemies. They have a big battle. And as she is in this big battle, uh, she thinks she sees her brother. Which is impossible because, one, her brother died in the last battle five years ago. And two, even if he was alive, he would not be fighting with the enemy. You know, so mm-hmm. she's all conflicted. But... She is taken captive, and these things appear to be true. She's not entirely certain. I'm not going to tell you anyway, but she now has to spend winter with the enemy. Um, and so how is she going to get out of this situation? Is she going to get out of this situation, or is she going to join the enemy? There's lots of action in this book. There's really fabulous character development. There's great world building. It's pitched as part Wonder Woman, part Vikings. It's really all you need to know. That's all I needed to say. <laughs> part Wonder Woman, Perfect. part Vikings. Um, but it's just this really fun standalone, although I am totally open to the idea of a sequel because it's so, so great. There's a little bit of everything. Uh, I just, I adored it. Again, it's called Sky in the Deep, and it's by Adrian Young. Now, awesome. take us home. All right, my last pick this week, which also came out last week on the 17th, um, is Forest Bathing, How Trees Can Help You Find Health and Happiness by Dr. Ching Lee. Um, If you read Florence Henderson's The Nature Fix last year and were into that, this is probably the next natural step for you. I'm going to stop you right there. It's Florence Williams. Florence Henderson is Mrs. Brady. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much more, though. (laughs) 
you know, it felt wrong coming out, but I couldn't figure what was right. Um, Imagine if Mrs. Brady, (laughs) imagine if Mrs. Brady had written a nature book. I'm sorry, Florence Williams. (laughs) Oh, the joys of going live to tape. Uh, (laughs) All right, let's try. It's Forest Bathing by Dr. Ching Lee. And if you liked Florence Williams's book, The Nature Fix, who knows? Maybe Florence Henderson likes trees too. Um, is she even still alive? I, don't I should think just, so. I think let's she's... not continue down that path because nope. now I, I know not of what I speak. So let's go back to nature. Um, this is a guide to the, the Japanese practice of Shinrin Yoku, which is the art and science of, of forest bathing is what they call it. It's a therapeutic practice um, that's essentially like very mindful hiking, nature, walking, engaging with the natural world. Um, And the book is illustrated with a hundred color photographs from forests around the world. It talks to you about different like forest therapy trails that you can go to. And also presents some of the science about how forest bathing and just spending time in nature in general can reduce your stress levels and boost your energy and your mood and creativity. And, you know, if you're walking around in nature, you also might get physically healthier as well. Um, I am not all the way through the book. I've been sort of dipping in and out of it. The way that it's divided up makes for nice little snippets of reading, but it's really lovely. Um, And, you know, who doesn't want to be encouraged, especially right now in the world to like, just look at a tree and notice how it's moving in the wind or put your face up against the leaves and take in the scent. Um, It's very nice. Um, I found it to be very soothing and especially going into the warmer part of spring and getting into summer when we can be outside more, at least in this hemisphere. um, It's a, a nice reminder of like, not only that we should do these things because they make us feel good, but why being outside feels so good. Um, So that's Forest Bathing, How Trees Can Help You Find Health and Happiness by Dr. Ching Lee. All right. My apologies to Florence Henderson. I love that you said Florence Henderson. That made my whole day. That cheered me right up. (laughs) What's going on in my brain that that's what I'm thinking of? You want to talk about mortification? My mother would always tell people how I was really little. I would bang my head on the TV and cry when the Brady Bunch wasn't on. Oh. I would be like, I want the Brady Bunch. So I did love the Brady Bunch. I'm afraid to revisit it. I don't know oh, how yeah, it would hold no, up these know. days. <laughs> all right, please save me, Liberty. Those right. are our new books and old books and all the other books this week. What are you going to read now? I'm going to read a story collection called Belly Up by Rita Bullwinkle. I do not know much about it, except it's from A Strange Object, a very awesome small press, and uh, she got blurbs from Lori Moore, Jeff Vandermeer, and Deb Olin Unearth, which is all I need to know. So all You could have stopped at Lori Moore, and I would have been like, yeah. okay. Yeah, like, hello. So what are all you right. going to read? I'm going to read Girls Burn Brighter Ooh. by Shoba Rao. Um, I also don't know much about it. I was, like, intentionally avoiding deep descriptions of it because Amanda loved it so much when she read it earlier this year that I requested it from the library immediately and I just got off the holds list. Um, so I think it's about a female friendship. Yes. It's, um, it's tough though. That's okay. It's a tough, I'm tough. Oh, I know. I'm just letting you know like ahead of time. All right. Um, yeah, I have another flight it. coming up later this week. So maybe that'll be my airplane reading. It'll keep me engaged. <laughs> oh, Okay. 
we have we have now done this thing. <laughs> Thank back. you again to our sponsors, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi. That is out now. You can find it wherever books are sold. And we, of course, will have a link to it in the show notes. To So Delicious Dairy Free, go to sodeliciousdairyfree.com slash all the books frozen to find out more and look for So Delicious items on your local dairy or ice cream aisle. And don't forget to go to bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway to enter to win 15 of our favorite slash the best new mysteries of the year so far. If you have something to say to us, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com. I will have Googled whether Florence Henderson is alive or not by the time this show comes out, so you don't need to send me that. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you would like to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, you know, especially if you like us and you want to give us five stars, that helps other people to find their way to us. Spoiler, she is not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, that's sad. Anyway, as much as we would love to bring you down some more by telling you that your favorite people from your childhood have passed on, uh, or how much we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. Rebecca. And in the meantime, I'm glad to be back too. All right. This felt good, even if it was a little inaccurate (laughs) that moment. (laughs) And in the meantime. In the meantime. Happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.